tools for living, room to grow, a space of grace to become everything God wants us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver, episode 81. Well, one of my favorite parts about hosting this podcast is the new friends that I meet along the way. Today, I'm really excited to have you meet Nicole Zazowski. Nicole is a licensed therapist and family counselor, as well as the author of a new book called What If It's Wonderful? Oh, you guys, this conversation is so rich. I can't wait to share it with you. So let's begin. Oh, it's so fun to have you with me in the living room. Nicole, welcome, welcome. Thank you for having me, Joanna. This is so fun to talk with you. I know, I know. I've been following you on Instagram, so I feel like I know you a little bit. But I, I was telling you before we went on that the title of your new book has just been resonating in my heart. What if it's wonderful? An invitation to release your fears, choose joy, and find the courage to celebrate. But that first phrase, what if it's wonderful? Because we're all we're all what if girls, man. But what yes. if this happens? What if that? And we're like, we're pre-freaking out just to make sure we've got all of our uh, ducks in a row. And yet we're missing the joy that we were made for. And I love that you opened this book with the story about this title. Will you kind of tell us about it? Yes. Yes. So um, I actually tell this story in the first chapter of the book because it was such a paradigm shift for me, like like you just described. I was sitting in my friend's kitchen on her counter stool, um, and we were having a different kind of what-if conversation. I, it was a really hard season for me, and it had been for quite some time, this book um, – was born out of a season of a lot of loss, a lot of change, and a lot of heartache. And while I was starting to emerge from that, I don't think our seasons are ever all pain or all joy, but um, certainly they can lean in one direction or another. And I was starting to have walk through more breakthrough and good news and, and, and see some movement. And I was afraid. Um, I was afraid that holding joy would mean I would just be disappointed. I was sure that celebration came with a catch. Um, And, you know, there's so many what if questions we ask. What if I fail? What if I get close to somebody and I'm rejected? Um, What if I take a chance on vulnerability and I'm left wanting? And so, Uh, that was the nature of our conversation. And I looked up and I'd sat in her kitchen many times before. So I have no idea why I had not noticed this sign, but she had this cute little wooden sign that you might find at home goods or, you know, with one of those phrases painted on it. And, um, it just said, what if it's actually going to be okay? And so I read this sign out loud And she just looked at me and said, oh, sweetie, what if it's wonderful? And it was not, it did not occur to me um, to make it the title of the book because I, I was just starting to wrestle with what God was leading me to write about next. And as you and I have discussed, he often asks us to write about things that he's working out in our own hearts. And it was definitely in that 
portion of of the writing process where and it still is actually continued to be work out, worked out in my own heart. But um, it's become a question that is so helpful of, to just interrupt that catastrophic thinking. Yeah. Oh, I like that you talk about in the book uh, just kind of a lot of just how our mind works because I don't know that we understand uh, sometimes I wonder, you know, is it personality type that some of us are more wired to catastrophic thinking and others are more like, oh, you know, it'll be fine. But in the book, you say that negativity, when it comes to our mental wiring, is more sticky. Can you kind of unfold that for us a bit? Yes. Yeah, so as I was diving into what does it look like to cultivate joy in our everyday lives, um, I learned a lot about the brain. <laughs> and as a therapist, these are things that I I have known and have practiced, but I didn't realize the impact that they have on our joy. And so one helpful thing to know about the brain is this phenomenon called the hedonic treadmill, which basically means that the brain rapidly adapts to joy. Hmm. So what's new and exciting, you get that phone call with the good news, or you walk into that surprise party, or you open a wonderful gift. Um, There's that moment that feels so sparkly and glittery. And then very quickly, like you're adjusting to a warm bath or you're adjusting to a freezing cold um, pool, your brain adapts to it. And so what was once maybe the thing that you thought would make you want for nothing else quickly fades back into the background. And then the second thing is that our brains are like Velcro when it comes to negative or unpleasant input. And they're like Teflon when it comes to pleasant or joyful moments of delight. And so... What that means for you and me is that as we go about our day, those everyday moments of joy or delight, those flashes of delight, as some people call them, are often going to be missed because our brain is very efficient and it only hangs on to what it thinks it's going to need. And those don't often make the list unless we cultivate practices that help us do it differently. Wow. Wow, wow. That really explains a lot, I think, because it is, it's kind of like that thing that you think if I had, I remember thinking that as a young, a young uh, wife, I'm like, if I had a food processor, my life would change. <laughs> that was like in the 90s. That was it. You know, it was like yeah. all I need, you know, and maybe it would even do the dishes. And it turns out I got it. And yeah, the shiny wore off really, really quick. Yeah. When I had to yeah. like wash three zillion pieces, you know, I'm like, yeah, not so great. But it happens in our life as well. And and I think that that's why I think this is so powerful just to almost step back and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Think about how you're processing this. Um, mm-hmm. I, I found just even recently just been thinking just because this is how I see life or how I process life maybe it's not true. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's disturbing on one level and it's really (laughs) exciting on another because maybe it isn't going to be terrible. Maybe it's going to be wonderful. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think there is such a difference. And I, I, if there's one thing I repeat in the book, it's, it's this statement, um, that there's a difference between feelings being real and feelings being true. Hmm. So whatever that loss or that tough season, that, that pain has looked like for you, you have very good reasons for feeling whether it's not good enough or unsafe or unloved or powerless. If, if I heard your story, I, and I've experienced this as a therapist, I've heard so many stories, I've never not been able to understand why somebody feels the way they do. Yeah. Those are real feelings. I think where we get into trouble is we forget that those feelings do not always tell us the truth about our identity and our sense of safety, our, our empowerment in God's economy. Um, and so learning to trust the truth and act on what we know to be true instead of reacting to how we feel is such an important part of our healing. Mm, so good. I think one of the things as I've just been kind of working with some friends and just trying to kind of push through that thinking of it's going to be horrible <laughs> and to be able to even imagine a different way of life. Yeah. And you talk very openly about your own struggle. And that's one of the reasons why I love this book so much. It's not coming from this Pollyanna. Come on, you guys. No. Everything's <laughs> awesome. You're very no. <laughs> honest about the pain. And I, I think maybe it'd be helpful just to hear a little bit of your story and how God's been teaching you the art of celebration. I like that you say, yeah, we have to be courageous to celebrate. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, um, again, because few among us simply drift toward joy. I think that that courage component is so important, but yes, I mentioned that I had been living a pretty prolonged season of just a lot of heartache, a lot of change, um, and a lot of loss. I, moved across the country unexpectedly and uprooted uh, my whole life and couldn't bring it with me. And what that revealed, that's more outlined in my first book, From Lost to Found, but what that revealed was a lot of misplaced hope mm. in my life. Um, my, I had had a very strong faith and would have said I was Christ-dependent, but didn't realize how propped up my faith was with my own achievement, the praise of other people, um, other people being proud of me, and uh, the my own hard work. I felt very safe because of my think that my mentality that if I just worked hard enough, I could pretty much make the life that I wanted happen. And I wouldn't have said any of that to you, um, but that's definitely how I was living. And I think. You know, sometimes the enemy works through an obvious attack. Um, but for me, as I look back on my life, I think a lot of the ways he's worked in my life is by making me comfortable without Christ. Mm. And that was perfectly describes the life that I was living in California prior to our move to Connecticut. And so while it was good, and I see that now, it was really hard. Um, and that kicked off, little did I know, it was just the beginning of a season that could be characterized by a lot of loss. My husband and I discovered a diagnosis that um, there was no cure for 
that basically means when I get pregnant, I have about a 50% chance of meeting that baby. Mm. Um, but for a long time, I, at one point I had had five miscarriages mm. and, and one child. Um, and all of that happened within approximately five years. Wow. And so just, you know, a lot of chronic, um, a, a lot of really chronic loss and blows that made it hard to rise to hope yeah. and delight in my life. And so it just felt easier after a while to keep my expectations low mm. um, and to, yes, pray for what I hoped for, but prepare for the worst. Um, and I talk about how pessimism and similarly cynicism um, can be protective and they don't work, yeah. <laughs> but um, that's our way really of control and managing our feelings is if I don't open myself up to the vulnerability of asking, I can't get hurt or the vulnerability of hoping I can't be disappointed. And so what I learned um, and experienced for myself was the research says actually pessimism doesn't protect us from any mm. disappointment mm. or any hurt. We are still going to feel the same measure of pain that we would have felt otherwise. What we will protect ourselves from is a lot of delight and joy, even if it's connection with our loved ones in the midst of pain or engaging with God in the midst of our hurt. Um, and I just woke up one day and realized that, yes, there was the loss itself, but at the lot of the loss I was experiencing was missing out on my beautiful God-given life mm -hmm. because I was so busy preparing for the worst. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I feel like that's landing on some hearts right now. Mm, I hope so. You know, I as I was working on my new book on trusting God, um, I, I wrote a whole chapter on not so great expectations because yes. my expectations of my husband nearly destroyed our marriage. And so I, you know, I really had, I learned how to let go of those unhealthy expectations. Yes. But as I was also writing about, so the first part of the book is about letting go when, when yep. it comes in surrender, letting go and surrender so that we can hold on in faith. And, but what I realized was I was really good at letting go. I wasn't so good at holding on. And it was exactly that. Mm. If I don't hope, you know, if I, if I tamp down my desires and just go, yeah. you know, whatever, God, I only want what you want, which is really true. And that's a good place to get to. But I realized I was just missing out on just this wonderful relationship of what might God want to do? And what if I did pray God-sized prayers? And what if I was willing to dream God-sized dreams? Um, mm. You know, and so this, I think that's probably why I was so intrigued by your title, because I realized I, I wasn't really even making room for the idea, what if it's wonderful? Because I just didn't want to be disappointed. So how mm -hmm. did you move from that place of pessimism or even like, I don't want to hope because I don't want to be disappointed. Mm -hmm. How do we get from there to that place where we're, where we're willing to say, Lord, 
this is what I'd love to see happen. Yes. Um, well, I love that you brought up that letting go piece um, because what I recognized was that a lot of my disappointment was not so much the no or the loss itself. It was the result of wanting more joy or expecting more joy from a gift than it was meant to give. Mm. And there was a reordering of my loves (laughs) that needed to happen. And what sits at the center of our affection will determine the satiation of our joy. So if the if a gift that's really good, like a marriage or like a baby, or you know, um getting to do the thing that God has called you to do, an opportunity to use your gifts, those are all beautiful things that we should absolutely celebrate. But if they're standing awkwardly Mm. in the wrong position in our hearts, disappointment will come because though even the best things in this life are not meant to be at the center of our affection, only one person, a person of Jesus, belongs there. Um, And so there was that, um, just that reorientation that needed to happen in in my thinking and in my heart. Also, the book of Ecclesiastes was really helpful to me uh, because the author had a lot of the same questions that I did in terms of um, just, you know, what what is the point? It, it, Ecclesiastes uses this phrase, um, under the sun, to let us know that only the things that we can see hmm. are being considered. And when we're o- when we want the proof uh, before we're willing to trust the promise, um, there's no imagination whatsoever for what God might do, or there's no dreaming. And I think, yes, imagination can be where we go to escape reality if it's an unhealthy, imagination. And there's all sorts of examples of what that can look like. But I think imagination can also be where we go to encounter reality when it comes to our relationship with God and how he could move and what's true of his character. And of course, we don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but just knowing him um, is enough to make us dream about what that could look like. And trusting that I know him and he has made himself clear to me. And so as long as that is where my hope is, then I'm safe to dream about those other things. And then the last third of the book, I outline, I get more practical. I obviously continue in biblical story and and personal story, but I get very practical in terms of practices um, that we can practice in our everyday lives without waiting for something to change or without receiving good news um, that help us cultivate celebration. Yeah. And I love that. You know, the one of the phrases I use in my book is, don't let the disappointment of what isn't steal the joy of what is. Yes. And that's what you really kind of unpack for us is we get our eyes, we're so forward future thinking that if I just had that, I could be happy that we miss our blessings right here and right now. I'd love to have you give us some practical tips. 
there, we, we've got an appointment with a therapist, you guys. Please, we need some tools. Yeah. So um, there's a lot in that last third, but I'll share a couple of my favorites. The first one that I think is a really great place to start is the practice of savoring. Mm. And what savoring does is it celebrates the ordinary. So earlier in our conversation, we talked about how the brain is not inclined to keep those everyday moments of delight or even notice them. Um, and so what, what savoring does is a practice to celebrate what's right in front of us. And the way that we do this is you just ask your five traditional senses what they're going to remember mm. about a moment. And I'm talking a moment, like it could be just a snapshot you take in your brain. So what do you see? What do you smell? What do you hear? What do you taste? And what do you feel? And that keeps you really present. And it makes that memory concrete with all five of your senses so it can carry it forward differently and not just dismiss it as unimportant. And I really want to encourage listeners, it doesn't have to be, you know, I had a friend who who told me about, she has four teenagers, and, and she was telling me about a Monday night where all six of them, her and her husband and her four kids, were sitting down at dinner together, which with teenager schedules doesn't always happen. And she said there were squabbles and there were, you know, moments of disagreement at the dinner, but just the fact that all six of them were at the table would have been a beautiful moment mm-hmm. to savor. Um, and so don't let the perfect get in the way of the good yeah. um, when it comes to moments t- to savor and delight in. Another one of my favorites is the practice of Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about gratitude. It feels like we can't walk into a boutique without seeing a gratitude <laughs> journal or a gratitude jar. And I think that's great. It's it's such a helpful practice that has proven to increase our joy um, because it helps us notice and name what the, the good things in our lives. So we it changes our perspective as all of a sudden we're scanning our lives for what God is doing and it helps us put language and structure to it when we write it down or speak it. What we don't often talk about is that the practice of thanksgiving, actually expressing the joy that we feel, the research says it doubles the joy that we get from gratitude. When I actually share and express that gratitude that I feel, especially when it's with God or with another person, um, and you can engage in that relational component. So, um, if I told you, Joanna, I am so thankful to meet you and to, I really enjoyed our conversation even before we hopped on. And I feel like I have a new friend and yes. really thankful for you having me on the show. You know, that in- doubles my joy versus if I had just felt that in my heart. And hopefully it brings the receiver some joy too. But the the research emphasis is really on the one giving Thanksgiving. 
Um, and the reason that I love this one is one of my hesitations when it came to embracing joy was that I had such a beautiful, intimate relationship with Christ in the dark. Mm. And there was a part of me that was really scared that that would go away. Mm. And I I felt a little sad having grown up in the church my whole life that I was less clear on what it looked like to engage with God in my joy. And Thanksgiving is the beautiful avenue we've been given Mm -hmm. to engage with God in the light of our joy and celebrate the gift with the giver. So that one is is special to me. Ah, that's so beautiful. You know, my mama um, kind of pulling the two experiences together, you know, um, sensing, you know, going through all our senses of something and then expressing. Mom did that so beautifully. Really? She did. If she saw something beautiful, she couldn't help but point to it and talk oh, about awesome. it. And and so I feel like she almost gave me an eye for beauty. She and mm. she gave me verbiage to where when something's beautiful, I find it spilling out to the Lord. Like what a beautiful sunrise or what a, you know, what a beautiful flower. Um, you know, I think, I think it's Andy Andrews who wrote the book about the noticer. You know, I think it's like, it's almost, we just move through life so fast to really train ourselves to stop and notice. And I love, I love those exercises. And I'm just thinking about mama doing that, you know, of expressing joy about ordinary things. She really wasn't, she wasn't the girl who had to have the newest and the shiniest, you know, she, she rarely bought anything for herself. (laughs) She just, she loved working in her garden. And I just wonder if we really tapped into all the blessings that are already around us. Yeah. If that level of contentment and joy Mm -hmm. wouldn't come, you know, speaking of joy, I'd, I'd kind of like to have you unpack that because I've sort Mm -hmm. of wondered is part of our problem just our definition of joy or how we think we're going to experience it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it can get a bad rap um, too when we th- when we think of it as toxic positivity or blind optimism, where, like you said earlier, we're you know joy is not. Um, blindly ignoring (laughs) the pain that we are all experiencing and the fact that suffering is real and hurt happens. Where where I have landed on it is joy just trusts God's promises Mm. in the midst of any season, whether that's a season of celebration or suffering. And it knows that what's dark today is not going to be dark forever. Um, And it has its, its loves sitting in the right order and um, the gifts in the right uh, position in our hearts. And so that is where our joy will increase. And and we are promised, scripture, scripture promises us that we will experience joy when we celebrate God. Mm. And when we're focused on celebrating the ways that He is already moving in our lives, and that's where that that word celebration I think has been so misunderstood because we think that it's sitting on the other side of a dream realized or a goal achieved or some sort of change in circumstances. 
rather than celebrating being cultivating a beautiful life with God right where you are. And and sometimes even in suffering, um, celebration is less about a change in your circumstances and more about remembering a God who doesn't change. Yeah. And when it can't look like rejoicing, sometimes it's just remembering a God who doesn't change. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you talk about, you know, we we kind of elevate spiritual disciplines of reading the word and prayer and worship yes. and all of that's <laughs> so important. But but you talk about that celebration is also a spiritual discipline. Can you kind of I'd I'd love not only for you to kind of unpack how that looks or what what um what the word says about that, but also how have you learned to bring that into your everyday life? Because I think we sort of think of celebration as an event. You know, we celebrated yes. this and we celebrated that. How can we make celebration like just part of our living? Mm-hmm. Yes. So I was a little bit annoyed when <laughs> I first learned and was confirmed in the research that celebration is a discipline because I thought, oh gosh, there's so many things that require discipline and hard work. Why Another does celebration one. have to be one of them? Like, can't that just be the fun thing? And yet I realized how incredibly disempowering hmm. that perspective was of waiting for a reason yeah. to celebrate and not cultivating it as a practice or as a discipline. And I realized it was making me anxious. Hmm. Um, I would I used to hate, that's a strong word, but I kind of mean it, um, really, really strongly dislike New Year's. Mm-hmm. Um, it would I would have be filled with anxiety as I approached that kind of transition with all that talk of dreaming and goal setting. And I realized it was because I had mistakenly believed that celebration was on the other side of mm-hmm. All those dreams or goals. Achieved goals. Yeah. Yes. And um, I I was walking into a new season, like a new year, thinking, well, I just ho- I hope I have a reason to celebrate and feel joy. Like my joy was locked in some yeah. box or crouching underneath um, all these other things that I had no control over happening. Yeah. And so it was a helpful paradigm shift for me to really think about it as something that I practice. Um, savoring and Thanksgiving are my everyday go-tos, but I also think ritual and rhythm is very helpful in this in this part of the conversation because um, when we look at the celebrations in the Old Testament the feasts and festivals that are outlined in detail for us there. They didn't happen because the Israelites were in the mood to celebrate or because the work was done or, you know, they had accomplished something. They celebrated because it was time to do so. And their celebration was about remembering God's faithfulness Mm. instead of it being a reward for their own for their own goodness. And so uh, that was so helpful to me and just, you know, the most common celebration we mostly practice in the church is Sabbath. That's Mm -hmm. a weekly day of rest and doing it differently. I think um, we tend to think about what not to do on the Sabbath, like don't work, (laughs) don't try and get ahead on your week. Right. 
But I also think it's really beautiful to think, what do you want to add to that day to make it special? And um, I have found that when it's rhythmic, there's a physiological component to that, Mm. that your brain and your body start to count on it and look forward to it. And a lot of joy is getting excited for the thing, not just the thing itself. Um, and my, my kids and I had a tradition for a long time of every Friday afternoon, we'd go into New York city where my husband works and we would play for the afternoon and we would wait for him to get off work and we'd all have dinner together and then drive home after traffic. Mm. And I kid you not that it got to be where the site of the George Washington bridge as I am, um, driving down the West Side Highway was enough for my shoulders to relax. Mm. My breathing got deeper. Wow. I was more focused in my conversations with my son and not distracted. And it just became this ritual that my body had learned was time to play. Uh. Um, And I was able to engage in my relationship with God and with myself and with the people that I love differently because it was rhythmic and I didn't wait for the perfect week or the perfect day when all the things on my to-do list were checked off in order to practice it. Mm, That is so cool. I'm trying to think like, how could I, how could I build something in like that? Cause I, I don't live near New York. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Not everyone lives outside of Manhattan. Uh, I do. I do get that. So other ways I have done this, um, my family and I, we look for sea glass. Mm. Uh, You may or may not live by the water. Uh, We have the same meal every Sunday. Uh During the pandemic, we, you know, when church was happening at home um, more frequently, Uh, we decided we were going to make communion really Mm -hmm. festive and I would get these hot cross buns and uh, grape juice because we have little ones and, and serve, we would serve each other communion. Um, And that didn't require a lot of extra money or anything we Mm -hmm. wouldn't ordinarily do. Um, But it just made it a little bit more festive and something to look forward to. That is so cool. Do you think it's that rhythmic repetitiveness that makes it builds it into our soul rather than coming up with something on the spur of the moment. Yes. I love spontaneous celebration and I think that's a beautiful thing too, but I do think there's really something special about that rhythm because it forces that discipline in us. It forces us to celebrate before we have a reason necessarily. I love that. And there's that physiological component of now we have something that our bodies remember it's ingrained in us and it doesn't take long for our five senses, you know, just like a puppy dog would with a certain sound, you know, knowing that they're getting a treat, you know, it's, our bodies are the same way. We, we start to count on that time. Well, I love that you bring out that it's all through the old Testament celebration. And then you see mm-hmm. it in the new where it says weekly yep. they joined together and, you know, yep. there was 
there was this purposefulness to it. And I just always am just in awe at the love of God. You know, Mm -hmm. first of all, just the gift of marriage that he's like, it's not good for you to be alone. You know, he's, he's like, I'm willing to share you. What? Mm -hmm. What kind of love is Mm -hmm. that? Right. And then that he would say, yes, it's a festival to remember me, but look, you're going to eat really good food and you're going to dance and you're going to laugh. He's not this controlling taskmaster God that we sometimes make him into. And so I love this idea of bringing joy even into our relationship. You know, I think sometimes we're like, well, I got to read my Bible and I've got to do this. And it's like, I have this list of 10 creative quiet times that I, oh, I, I love use that. on my website for people signing up for email. And it's like, take God out for coffee, you know, mm-hmm. go for a walk, just notice notice the beauty rather than performing for him, like just getting to enjoy him. And I think that that's probably been one of the most powerful shifts in my relationship with the Lord is looking at my time with him as a get to rather than a have to. And so I, I think incorporating this book even into that time with the Lord. You know, I, I love that each chapter, you've just got four questions that we can think about and respond yep. to. Um, do you have any other resources that we could find that might just go along with this book to help us towards this whole practice of celebrating? Yes. On my website, you can download a free um, guide to help you work through your own what-if questions and guide you toward that what-if-it's-wonderful place, Um, because I know that we all have a different version of that, and we all have a different story that has led us to this place. And um, the book is certainly designed, you know, I go first in sharing my own story, Um, but it's certainly designed to turn out toward the reader so they can process their own. And, and that would be a helpful guide to do that too. Yeah. You know, during our whole conversation, I just feel kind of impressed to share a story that, that I've got in my new book about praying God-sized prayers, because I think I told you, you know, I, I was really good at the first half and the letting go, but like holding on and believing God for, for the good things that, you know, that mm. does have good gifts. And um, I, I was telling the story about my son, Josh, who was probably like seven or eight, and he's the least demanding kid that you could ever Aww. meet. And so during that time, Disney World was having this big ad campaign and, you know, the families are laughing and they're having fun and you could just see him lean forward and smile. And I was just waiting for the question, mom, can we please go to Disneyland? He never Uh said that. He never asked. He would just say, sure looks like they're having fun. Oh, <laughs> and oh, sweet boy! I know, and so I've always just so admired his non-demanding spirit. Like uh-huh. he just—he just is not that kid who's like, "I want this, give me mm. that," you know, which is such a beautiful thing. But as I was like, Lord, what is this resistance I feel that you know yes. that I've so given up on hope and expectations because mm. I don't want to be disappointed? And I realized as I thought about that, you know. I didn't want to engage his desire because I knew we didn't have the money to meet it. So because I was looking at it, I just kind of ignored it. I just let the moment pass. But as I was working on the book, I realized, what if I had just engaged with that instead? Mm. Just so I didn't make any promises, but I said, Josh, 
What would, hey, wouldn't that be fun to go there someday? What rides would you want to go on? You know, they have great treats. What kind of treats would you want to eat? And we could have just taken that desire and spread it out in front of us and just enjoyed dreaming. Yeah, the hope and the excitement and imagining what it might be like. At this point, that would be cool because you know what, Nicole? A few years later, someone gave us tickets to Disney World while we were in Florida. And a few years after that, someone gave us tickets to Disneyland. And had I taken that moment to dream with my son he and even said, Lord, if it would be your will someday, we'd sure like to go there. Sure. He would have seen. Yeah. He would have seen the connection that we do have a God who delights Mm. to give us the desires of our heart Mm -hmm. if we'll delight Mm. ourselves in Him. And so I would just love, as we close, I'd love to have you just pray over us. Sure. Because I do feel like, I do feel like, yes, I don't want to be demanding of God, but Mm -hmm. I don't want to believe He's less good than He is. And I don't want to miss celebrating the life that he's already given me. Oh, that is so beautifully said. I would be happy to pray. God, thank you that you are better than we could ever (laughs) imagine. Um, Thank you that uh, you engage with us in our joy, just as you are close to us in our heartache. Um, and present in our pain. You are also present at the party um, and you delight in us in our joy. God, thank you that we can approach you in both seasons of suffering and celebration. Um, Lord, for anyone listening, I pray that this would be their inspiration to process their own stories of hurt and pain um, that have led them to this place that have that has made it hard to look toward the future with hope and an expectant heart um, where we, where we can know who you are, when we can know that you can uh, believe that you will and know that even if it looks differently than we hope that you are still you. Amen. Um, and that will give us the courage to celebrate what you are doing in our lives and to look toward the future with, with hope and an expectant heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I hope you got as much out of today's conversation with Nicole as I did. You know, I think I should have realized that negative thoughts are more sticky than positive ones. I mean, isn't that what we experience nearly every day? But I don't think I realized that I can retrain my mind to notice the positive blessings simply by savoring them. And that by savoring them, we can actually increase our happiness. Uh, In the interview, I talked about my mom and how she taught me during our growing up years to notice beauty. And I realized that I talked about her in the past tense, but oh, you guys, she's still with us and she is still noticing beauty, even though she's walking through some difficult times right now. You know, I'm praying that we'll all be able to cultivate this habit of noticing and savoring the blessings that are all around us. For as we cultivate a heart of gratitude, I believe the beauty of Jesus will be released in our hearts, but also through our lives. If you have some friends that might be blessed by this conversation, I hope you'll take a screenshot of this interview. And if you'd share it on social media with the hashtag living room podcast, I'd love to find you and say thank you for listening. Well, until next time, my friend, 
Rather than spiraling into negativity and coming up with all the worst case scenarios of what could happen, what if we stopped that negative downturn with this simple question? What if it's wonderful? Because you guys, we have a wonderful father who promises to work all things together for our good. As we give him access to even those hard things in our lives and yet bless him and thank him for all the beauty in the middle of the mess, I believe he's going to enable us to not only live and love and lead like Jesus, he's going to transform our hearts and our minds. See you next time, my friend.